Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, and this is episode 103. I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's been on my mind as we go through this rather interesting period, and that's an understatement, and that is this idea of equality which, of course, we associate with the left trying to make everybody equal, that there's absolutely no difference between men and women, between people of different cultures, and the left's push to realize not just equal economic outcomes for everyone, but to the point where they seem to want every single person to have an identical experience of life, whether they're male or female, or otherwise, now that we have more than uh, the two genders, or regardless of their abilities, regardless of their interests, and especially with economic outcomes, they seem to want everyone to have the same income and never consider that some people aren't interested in the same things. They may not want to be a billionaire, for example. Maybe people have interests other than financial, where they don't want to devote that much of their life every waking moment in the single-minded purpose of either making money or producing that one product that will have such mass appeal that it would make them a billionaire or a millionaire or even a very wealthy person. So for all their talk of diversity, the one thing that they really seem to not want to allow is diversity of experience of life. Every different outcome to them is some kind of an injustice, and they see it as the government's job to correct this injustice, to restore some equality that they believe that society has destroyed. And if you read my book, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From?, you will know that this is the fundamental principle of the left as expressed most succinctly by Jean-Jacques Rousseau that human beings are naturally good, but that the scourge of private property 
creates all these inequalities between them and that that's the purpose of the government is to restore that equality that would exist without private property. So against this thinking and in the face of the ridiculous lengths that the left has gone in recent years to push this agenda, a lot of libertarians are starting to take issue with the words in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and really interpret those words completely differently from how they were intended. And this has a long tradition in conservative thinking, which, again, if you've read my book, you know, I do not consider libertarianism to be a subset of conservatism, nor the other way around, that you can be a conservative politically and a libertarian at the same time. I think these are fundamentally opposed ways of viewing the world. And I think I prove that in the book. And you're welcome to read it and see if that bold claim is justified or not. But there's a long tradition, and Russell Kirk writes about this in The Conservative Mind, of kind of denigrating the preamble to the Declaration of Independence as being some idealistic thinking and almost talking about it in a way that it's related to Rousseau's ideas of equality, and it is not. So I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about where Jefferson got the idea. And let's not forget, this wasn't just Jefferson. He may have drafted that preamble, but it was gone over. The whole declaration was gone over and edited quite extensively by the whole Congress, first by the committee to draft the declaration and then by the Congress at large, to the point that Jefferson was kind of miffed at what a shambles they had made of his wonderful prose. But they didn't edit out that part about all men being created equal, nor that they were endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. Somebody, I can't remember if it's confirmed that it was Benjamin Franklin, changed the word sacred and undeniable to self-evident. And that's rather a interesting change because I'm going to read you the passage from John Locke where Jefferson got this idea of equality because, as I've said on previous podcasts and in my book, at least in 1776, the thought leaders of the American Revolution were all channeling John Locke. Certainly Samuel Adams in his 1772 Rights of the Colonists absolutely Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. And let me get to this passage from John Locke's second treatise, and you'll see that this is the idea behind what's in the Declaration. So right in the beginning, when he's talking about the state of nature, and in fact, I'll start right from the beginning of this chapter called The State of Nature— He says, to understand political power right and derive it from its original, we must consider what state all men are naturally in, and that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and persons as they think fit within the bounds of the law of nature without asking leave or depending upon the will of any other man. And here's the part that's very relevant to the equality phrase, a state also of equality, wherein all the power and jurisdiction is reciprocal, 
no one having more than another, there being nothing more evident than that creatures of the same species and rank, promiscuously born to all the same advantages of nature and use of the same faculties, should also be equal one amongst another without subordination or subjection unless the Lord and Master of them all, by any manifest declaration of his will, set one above another and confer on him by an evident and clear appointment an undoubted right to dominion and sovereignty. So what's he saying here is that the equality that Jefferson speaks of and and that he speaks of in this passage is a very specific kind of equality. It doesn't mean that everybody is exactly the same, that everyone's going to have the same abilities, that they're going to look the same, that they're going to behave in the same way. It means very specifically that no one is born with any inherent right to rule over another person. That's it. That's the extent of the equality that Locke and later Jefferson is speaking of. And you notice at the end he says that no one could ever have an inherent right to rule over another person unless God had given this person that right. Now, the reason that's important, this is the essay that is generally known as Locke's second treatise of government. He had previously spent the entire first treatise refuting the idea that kings had indeed been given this right to rule over other people by the Lord and master of them all, by God. So the first treatise, the purpose, is to refute an essay called Patriarcha by a gentleman named Sir Robert Filmer that made a case for the divine right of kings. And Locke's purpose in his first treatise was to, on its own terms, destroy Filmer's Patriarcha and refute the idea that kings had been given a divine right. And once he had refuted all that and said, okay, there's no such thing as the divine right of kings, then he writes his second treatise to say, well, then how do we derive a government? How do we justify a government wherein there is any power exercised at all? And that's the purpose of the second treatise. And so he starts out with these first principles that he says are evident, and Jefferson will say self-evident, or whoever changed Jefferson's phrase sacred and undeniable to self-evident, probably Benjamin Franklin. And notice, by the way, that that change brings it closer to Locke than what Jefferson had written. So it wasn't just Jefferson who was deeply imbued with Locke's principles. They all were, to a certain extent, as this was the guiding idea behind the revolution. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts a couple of ways by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts of every episode as well as access to my members-only MeWe group or become an all-access patron and get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos. You can even become a VIP patron to get all of that plus a free copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. 
Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there, and you can find links to all of the above at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. So some of the objections to this idea that that I've heard, especially to people who aren't big fans of Abraham Lincoln, as I am not either, are that Lincoln proposed that this was a propositional nation and that it was based on this principle that all men are created equal. And even some of the more right-leaning libertarians are saying that, well, this was a mistake, an error in thinking, this propositional nation because it leads to all sorts of ridiculous conclusions, not only domestically for the left to try to make us all have the same experience of life, as I said before, but even that the neocons use this as a way to justify going out into the world and imposing this propositional idea on other countries. So number one, I don't think that that follows. I don't think it follows that whether Lincoln was right or wrong in his particular way of seeing this, that if the United States was based on this idea, that therefore it follows that it should go out and impose this on the rest of the world, that contradicts not only Jefferson, but Washington, Adams, everybody in the founding generation who very definitely held the idea the United States should stay out of foreign wars. And in fact, John Adams probably sacrificed his second term in order to keep America out of war with France. Nor do I think that it necessarily follows that if this propositional nation idea were true, that it leads to the kind of lunacy that we're seeing from the left in trying to make us all equal. No, you have to understand what Jefferson meant, and he meant what Locke meant, that no one person has an inherent right to rule over another. And I think that's what Lincoln meant, because he was talking about slavery, and he was trying to say that it was against American principles, this original proposition that all men are created equal, for any one person to hold slaves. And he's right about that. I firmly disagree with him waging a war, first of all, because he didn't do it for slavery. As he said many, many times, he did not prosecute the war to free the slaves, but rather to save the Union. In other words, to save his tax base, which he said in his first inaugural. So you don't have to like Lincoln to agree with him on this one point where I think he's correctly applying the idea of equality that Jefferson was expressing, which he got from Locke. That in one sense and in one sense only, and that is any right to rule over another person, we're all created equal. No one has that right to rule over somebody else, not an inherent right. And then Locke goes on to say that if no one has an inherent right to rule over somebody else, well, then how can political power ever be exercised? He then concludes only by the consent of the governed. Now, those are Jefferson's words, 
but they're also Locke's words as well. And Locke takes great pains to develop in a very logical manner how you would come to get to a system of government that would apply justice correctly. And political power could only be obtained by the consent of the people who are going to be ruled. Now, Locke eventually comes to the conclusion and even asks rhetorically in his treatise, how is this consent to be obtained? And then, you know, for a lot of libertarians like myself, he kind of fumbles the ball and says, well, we'll just have to go with the majority because you're never going to get a unanimous consent. So nothing could ever happen if you didn't have a majority rule. And so to me, that is the difference between Rothbard and Locke is this idea of consent to Rothbard and to many libertarians. It's also self-evident that a simple majority vote cannot substitute for individual consent. That's just ridiculous. And Locke knew this too, because in his treatise, he sets limits to what power anyone can even consent to. And in the end, the only power that Locke believed was even capable of bestowing on another person by consent was this power to preserve property, which for Locke was not just your physical possessions, but also your life, your liberty, self-ownership. Property was an expansive term that I don't think the founders did us any favors by breaking up into myriad individual rights. We should be just talking property all the time, in my opinion. It's cleaner. It leads to less confusion. So I think Jefferson did us a disservice, and he was not the first to do it this way. I mean, he got the language for the Declaration, it would seem, most directly from the Virginia Declaration of Rights from George Mason, another big Locke fan, but where Locke had elegantly referred to life, liberty, and estates, or life, liberty, and possessions, inclusively as property, you've got the founders breaking it up into life, liberty, and property, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think that was not a good thing. And I've said this in a previous podcast, that it would have been better if they just used the word property because it clearly delineates what you really have a right to. And what you really have a right to is what you own. And I've gone through that in detail on a previous podcast. I believe it was episode nine, and I'll post that on the show notes page for anyone who's interested. Also wrote a blog post on it. I think this is very important that we understand what do you have a right to, and you have a right to what you legitimately own and nothing else. But getting back to this idea of equality and whether it's a valid idea or not, like I said, it's been a long-standing bone. The conservatives have picked with the Declaration of Independence, and Russell Kirk in his conservative mind says that John Randolph of Roanoke wholly repudiated the common interpretation of the Declaration of Independence, denounced Jefferson as a Pied Piper, and turned his back upon political abstractions to seek security in prescription and in an unbroken vigilance over personal and local rights. And this is a fundamental departure from libertarian thinking by conservatives. They don't believe in inherent inalienable rights. 
They believe the only rights that you have are those that have been established by these long-standing legal and cultural traditions. They call this prescription. It's the word that Russell Kirk uses because that's the word Edmund Burke used. So that's a fundamental departure from our beliefs. We don't believe that it takes long-standing traditions for people to have these rights. We believe that they're born with them, as did Jefferson, as did Locke. Now, you may hear conservatives say they believe this, but really they don't. The true conservative believes what I just said. Now, again, I think that people who are afraid of this idea, conservative-leaning people, would say, well, this is a dangerous idea because, and this is where the neocon connection comes in, that if these rights are not the product of long tradition as we've had in England and then in the American colonies and then the American Republic, well, then people in Iran must have these rights. People in Syria must have these rights, and they do. And therefore, we have some duty to go over there and protect those rights when they're being violated, which they are. To which I say, no, that does not follow. It does not follow that because Jefferson is correct, that Locke is correct, that let's just say on this one point, Lincoln is even correct, that all people are born with these rights born created equal in this very limited sense of what equality means, that it's therefore the duty of every person in the world to see that every other person in the world, those rights are protected. Indeed, it is only one's own rights that individuals have a duty to protect, and by doing so will protect the rights of the people around them And for Locke, this meant forming this constitutional government with representation. For Rothbard, it is allowing the market to protect your property, your life, your liberty, and your possessions. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, It helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. Think 
Neither does this idea suggest that the government should have any power to achieve different economic or social outcomes. And Jefferson's very clear about this in his second inaugural. And I'll just read this passage, which makes it clear. And he probably said this because there were people, again, conflating incorrectly his ideas about equality in the Declaration of Independence with the ideas over in France of equality, which were much more like modern socialism. So here's what Jefferson says about the purpose of government in his second inaugural, that our wish, as well as theirs, is that the public efforts may be directed honestly to the public good, that peace be cultivated, civil and religious liberty unassailed, law and order preserved, equality of rights maintained, and that state of property, equal or unequal, which results to every man from his own industry or that of his fathers. So there's a lot to break down there. First of all, he does use the word equality, but only of rights, not of outcomes. And he makes clear that whatever you've earned, whatever state of property you're in, however much wealth you have, even if that state of property amongst people is unequal, that it's the government's job to protect the property of every individual, even if one has more than another. So in other words, it's the government's job to protect income inequality if it results from people acquiring different amounts of wealth by their own industry in a state where they have equal rights. And you notice at the end there, he says, or that of his fathers. So in other words, he's saying that the government should defend the rights of inheritance. And there's a reason for that as well. It is from the false accusations that Jefferson wanted to abolish inheritance. And I wrote about this in the book. And, you know, again, as late as the 1950s, Russell Kirk is still making this false equivalency. And it's either a misreading, a misunderstanding by conservatives or dishonesty. You, you make the call, but certainly it's a conflation of two very different things. I'll read you this passage from where do conservatives and liberals come from. It says, for example, Kirk, this is Russell Kirk writing in the conservative mind. Kirk decries the leveling agrarian republicanism of which Jefferson's was the chief representative, zealous to abolish entail, primogenitor, church establishments, and all the vestiges of aristocracy. And then this is me writing in commentary. The word leveling is misleading as it suggests positive government redistribution of wealth, which Jefferson consistently denounced, as I just read to you from the second inaugural. Kirk conflates removing existing government power with granting it new power. This is by no means the only occasion. Abolishing primogenitor actually enhanced property rights. Primogenitor required fathers to bequeath all of their estates to their firstborn sons, regardless of the father's wishes. Abolishing primogenitor didn't prohibit the father bequeathing to the firstborn son. It merely gave the father the freedom to do otherwise if he wished. The right to dispose of one's property as one sees fit is an essential element of owning property at all. 
So I go on to talk about churches and everything else that Kirk mentioned in that quote, but you can see that it doesn't follow that Jefferson wanted to abolish inheritance from the fact that he wanted to give the father more freedom to bequeath his possessions as he saw fit to more than just the firstborn son. In fact, forcing the father to bequeath everything to the firstborn son is a violation of the father's property rights, that he's not allowed to dispose of his own possessions as he sees fit. So that was what Jefferson was after in abolishing primogenitor. But you can see even in his time that there were probably accusations, false ones, that he was trying to abolish inheritance because he made the point of saying, or that of his fathers in that speech, to make clear that the government should enforce the rights of inheritance. So in conclusion, I just want to say that I think it's a grave error to denounce this idea of all created equal. It's the foundation of libertarianism. The foundation of libertarianism is that we all own ourselves and no one has any inherent right to rule over us. That's the equality that he's talking about. It's from that premise that all libertarian thinking springs. And in fact, this completely contradicts leftist thinking. A leftist thinks it's the government's job to make us equal This idea is that we're all already born equal in the only way that we ever will be equal, and that is in that no one has a right, inherent right, to rule over us. So there is no equality job for the government to do in Jefferson and Locke's thinking and Rothbard's. The equality part is already there when we're born, and it is the government's job actually to make sure that no one arbitrarily rules over us. Nobody violates our property. And again, for Rothbard, he takes the extra step to say that, hey, John Locke had everything right. I always say John Locke ran the ball from the goal line to the opponent's 10-yard line, but then he fumbled. He gets everything right up until the point where he says, how is this consent to be obtained? And then he says, well, we're going to have to form this government with elected representatives and everything and majority rule to some extent. But luckily, Rothbard recovers the fumbled ball at the 10-yard line and runs it into the end zone, in my opinion, and in the opinion of anarcho-capitalists. And that's not to diminish what Rothbard did. If I can murder this analogy even more, it's toughest to score from the red zone, right? So those last 10 yards were tough yards. But let's not pretend that he wasn't standing on the shoulders of, to me, a great giant in John Locke. And Jefferson also said that Locke was one of the three greatest men who ever lived and the only one in terms of politics who ever lived. So... I hope that these thoughts were helpful in shedding some light on this issue. I absolutely agree that the left is out of its mind, and it really always has been out of its mind ever since the French Revolution, where they began trying to make people equal through the force of government, but attacking the very different idea of equality in the Declaration of Independence is not only barking up the wrong tree, but it is destructive to the very principles upon which libertarian is built. So that's going to do it for today. 
On Friday, I'll have Carla Garrick back with us to talk about her campaign and all the things going on in New Hampshire with the Free State Project. Don't forget that if you haven't already, check out TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and consider becoming a supporter of what I'm doing here. That'll allow you to join either my Patreon or my Substack, depending on what kind of content you're interested in. I should mention that all the content on my Substack is also available on the Patreon. So if I were you, I would join the Patreon because there's a few extra perks there, including if you become a VIP patron, my first course on some of the material that we've covered today based on my book, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From? I'm eventually going to have three courses. The first one, Where Do Conservatives Come From?, is already available, and it's very pertinent to what I've talked about today. And eventually, the other two foundational chapters of the book, Where Do Liberals Come From?, Where Did the Founding Fathers Come From?, there will also be courses for that as well. So that's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.